0: Uh, examples of this stand, that stands out to me was a year and a half ago, this was on my mind this week as we celebrated Vera's first birthday on Friday, right? our, our baby is not a baby anymore. It's so sad and happens so fast I don't care if that's a cliche, it does. But it was August of 21 that we came back from the sabbatical, the, the extended rest that the church had so graciously blessed us with. And going into that sabbatical time, I had grand plans of working on writing. I wanted to bear the fruit of a book. And about two weeks into that time, though, I was sitting on a patio of a Grove Park Inn, looking out over downtown Asheville, North Carolina, and the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountain. And I began to realize that this time of rest was becoming a time of much stress as I was getting all worked up about producing the work of a book and having to come back with some fruit to show to try and justify myself and the time. So I basically decided I had to set that aside and rest. But our first Sunday back, again, thinking I'm far more clever than I am, I thanked you all for the time away, and I said it was a life-giving time. Literally. I had a couple of big goals going into the sabbatical. I wanted it to be productive, and it was productive. Literally. You all just stare at me, <laughs> blank faces, as if I was an idiot, which I am. But I was trying to, I was trying to cleverly announce that Melissa was pregnant. Right at the time, not now, then. That the time was, <laughs> that the time was truly fruitful. In that, a whole life, a life, a person was produced, and the proof of that statement came on February twenty-fourth, 2020, two 2022. Vera is fruit. And fruit is a surprisingly frequent and important word and metaphor in the Bible. It shows up in the very first chapter of the Bible, both literally and metaphorically, just eleven verses in Genesis one eleven, day three, and God said, Let the earth sprout, vegetation, plants, yielding seed and fruit trees, bearing fruit it was so, and God saw that it was good. And then there's Genesis 1, 26-28, God creates man in his image. This is a big idea, this we're going to be after today. He creates man after his likeness. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And God's first word to man, verse 28, be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth. You see, the God of life Creates life. Fruit trees that will bear more fruit, that is, more life, then he creates conscious life, us humans, who will be fruitful and multiply, that is, more life, both physically and spiritually. This this is the pattern. This is who our God is and what he does. Jonathan Edwards used to like to use the metaphor of fountain to describe God. It's the very nature of a fountain to, to pour forth and to overflow water. It is the very nature of the God of life to pour forth and to overflow life. It is the very nature of life itself to pour forth and overflow more life. And remember our metaphor. Jesus says, I am the vine, and the vine is life all seven of Christ's I am statements are ultimately about they are about life I am the way and the truth and the life remember what the whole book of John is ultimately about these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name life and life is quite literally everything Life lives. Life shows and demonstrates itself. Life begets life. Life bears fruit, which is just more life. The Christ who is life teaches us here that as his life gets in us and does its work through us, it will produce more life. It will bear fruit. That's the whole sermon there. The life of Christ in the soul of man will bear the fruit of life. The life of Christ in the soul of man will bear the fruit of life. We are seeking to move beyond understanding the life that Christ gives merely as eternal life up there and then. Life in the time uh, to come. We're seeking to better understand that eternal life now. But it means to have Christ in me. But it means to know the one who, knowing, is eternal life. And that life begins in us now. It's experienced now. It bears fruit now. This is important. Fruit equals life. Thus, no fruit equals death. So we've got to get this right. Let us try and keep it simple. We're going to simply answer three questions from our text. To help us understand, love, and live this word, All we're going to do, focused on the fruit, point number one, we're going to ask, what is the fruit? And then second, we will consider how do we bear the fruit? Then third, what happens when you don't bear the fruit? Nice and simple. What is this fruit that God, that Christ here is teaching us about and why does it matter? Let me read the text for you first. This is our third and final time. Today. We're focusing on the fruit verses this third and final time. We've seen who Christ is, I am. We've seen the call to abide in him. Well, what's the result? That's what we're looking at here today. Let me read for you. John 15, verses 1 through 11. Pay attention. This is what God wants to say to you today. I am the true vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit so have I love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. You. you would bow with me. Let's first begin uh, by going to the Lord's word of prayer. Well, Father, we ask now for your help. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Apart from you, I cannot faithfully and effectively even communicate your word. Father, apart from you, we cannot effectively perceive and hear and respond to your word. And so we ask that your spirit would work in this time through the preaching of your word. Father, we want to do and be what Christ tells us we are to do and be in this text. Father, we want to be people who bear fruit as we abide in Christ. We pray you would help us to understand what that means. We pray that this would be a very means of our abiding in him corporately together as we come before and sit under the teaching of your word. Father, please do your work through your word. Show us your good, gracious, and glorious Son, Jesus Christ, and be um, instilling in us more and more a great passion and desire uh, to know him, and to be like him, to pursue him with all that we have, Father, to make us like Jesus Christ, Use this time, not to further that end. Help us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One number one, we're seeking to answer the first question, well, what is this fruit? We'll get all the other uh, questions wrong if we get this first question wrong, so we need to first make sure that we know what Jesus means by fruit. So look at the text, consider the metaphor again, Christ has now claimed for the seventh and final time I am the vine, in verses one and five. In other words, it's simply saying I am life. The beginning of the whole book of John, chapter one, intentionally echoing the beginning of the whole Bible, Genesis chapter one. But John one three tells us, "In him was life, and the life was the light of men." And light really is just another another metaphor. Life, life is life. It shows the way to life. It is life. So that verse would say, "In Him was life, and the life was the life of men." Christ is life. It's John. Jesus, in our passage, is hours away from His death, and He is here teaching His disciples about the most important thing, which is life. Here, here is what the life I am about to purchase for you with My death is going to look like. Here's what life is going to be like until I return. Find your life and your life only and entirely in me. So where all of us, need to be constantly considering, where are you looking for life? What are you pursuing as if it will provide for you the life that you seek? What are you resting in? What are you depending upon? What are you abiding in? How can you tell Fruit. Examine the fruit. Look to the result or return of what and where you're looking to for life. Think first of fruit as result and return. And as you're doing that, flip back to Isaiah chapter 5, page 569. Isaiah chapter 5. 569. Remember a few weeks ago, uh, to our, back to our first foray into John chapter 15, we spent most of our time on Christ as I am. But we drew attention to the fact that Jesus is intentionally employing a metaphor here that was already just chock full of meaning. This is not some random metaphor that he's coming up with. So we went back to the Old Testament. And we saw that the metaphor of the vine and the vineyard is used specifically to refer to one thing, to Israel, to God's chosen people through whom he was going to bring blessing to the world. But we saw that every time the metaphor is used, it's in reference to the fact that Israel failed to be what it was meant to be. And so in Christ coming here and claiming to be the true vine, he's claiming to be the full and final fulfillment. Of all that Israel was meant to be and do. All of God's plans and promises are going to come to fruition through Christ. But why did Israel fail? What was God looking for? What fruit, what result or return did he expect from his vineyard? Look at Isaiah 5 7. We'll get us into our big idea for this first point. What is the fruit? That's what we need to answer. Isaiah 5 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. What fruit was the Lord looking for from his vineyard? He was looking for justice and righteousness. And not as the world defines those things, but as God's word defines those things. Thanks. Why was the Lord looking for justice and righteousness? Psalm 33 5 says this He, God, loves righteousness and justice. Okay, well, why does God love righteousness and justice? Well, Deuteronomy 32 4 tells us the rock, the Lord, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and And without injustice, righteous and just is He. You see, it's because God is righteousness and justice that He is looking for righteousness and justice to be reflected in His people. God is perfectly right in all that He is. And so He acts perfectly right in all that He does. And as He is the righteous God of justice, all righteousness, all justice, must be judged according to His state, according to His law. That which is right and just is simply that which is in accord with God's good and right-revealed law. When it's talked about today, justice is often little more than perception and personal experience. But, but true justice and righteousness is, is legal. It's based on law, God's law. And that's what God was looking for from his people. Right being and right living in accordance with God's right law. God expected a certain kind of people living a certain kind of life. He expected both character and God. Go back to John 15. What is the fruit? Well, it's a, it's a comprehensive Concept: The fruit is both character and content. Look at verse uh, what did I say? Conduct. Sorry. Look at the text. Look at verse 2. Back to John 15. Jesus says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he the Father takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he proves that it may bear more fruit. Fruit, 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 three times. No fruit, take it away. Fruit, cared for, and that it may bear more fruit. So again, this whole fruit business is really important. If there's none, you're out. If there's some, God works to make sure there's more, because fruit is so good. Angie made you a fruit thing for a party yesterday? Uh, Melissa brought me a cup of it. Oh, it was so good. I was del- fruit is delicious. I'm going to have you thinking about mangoes and all these yummy fruits. Uh, I love fruit. I've got a cup in in the back of the uh, the fridge there. If anyone steals it and it's gone, I'll be very mad at you. After the service. Fruit is good. Fruit is good. Now look at verses 4 through 5. Here's another important clue as to what this fruit is. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is a simple but so important principle. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, Jesus is warning about the great danger of false teachers. He says, be careful. They come in sheep's clothing, so they look all cute and cuddly and white, but inwardly they are ravenous." But how do you recognize them? Verse sixteen: You will recognize them by their fruits. Sorry, verse sixteen of Matthew seven: You will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus says, "Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes?" Of course not. Uh, Verse eighteen: A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. You will recognize them by. Simple, logical, commonsensical concept. The most apple making this fall. We all of us subconsciously drew the logical conclusion: hey, there are apples on those trees. Those are apple trees. you right? <laughs> <laughs> understand how this works. We can recognize a tree by its fruit. So too can we recognize a person by and as an apple tree produces apples. What Christ is saying here in our text is that a person who abides in me, the person connected to me, Christ the vine, will produce Christ-likeness. The fruit is Christ-like character and conduct. As the branch is attached to the vine and draws its life from the vine and produces the certain type of life of that vine, here's an apple tree, here's a branch it's connected, it's going to produce apple fruits, so too will we who are attached to the Christ who is life, live and so produce the certain type of life of Christ. The fruit is Christ-like character and God. I'll give you a few more passages i craving literally so that you will hopefully also begin to crave this metaphorical fruit as well. Let's start with Romans 7.4. Flip there if you want. 9.43 in the View Bible. Romans 7.4. It is such a kind theme in Scripture. 9.43, Romans 7.4. This is Paul writing. I'm going to jump around in these two chapters for a second. Romans 7.4. Likewise, my brothers... You also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Side note, I said in an email on Wednesday that there are few truths more important and more difficult to learn than this one. You are not your own. We just read Psalm twenty-four, one, which opens, saying, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and those who dwell therein. It's all His. That means that you are His. And all the more if you are in Christ. So we just read Romans 7, 4, which says that God saved you so that you may belong to another. You are His. You are not your own. Your life is not. You how many of us, even as believers are still living with the basic assumption that we are our own and that our life is for and about us. And the reason we so get so easily upset about so many things is because we're assuming that life is about us and for us. See, We're missing one of the key basic truths of the Christian life. We are saved so that we may belong to another in order that, the verse goes on, that we may bear fruit for I'll look at verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Okay, so this fruit-bearing thing is it's not optional. You're either going to bear fruit for God or you are going to bear fruit for death. Choose wisely. Verse 6 goes on to say that we now serve in the new way of the Spirit previous chapters, which is right above in the view Bible. Look at chapter 6, verse 20. 620, Paul's talking about our being formerly slaves to sin. You're not free, you're a sinner. You're a slave to that sin. Now look at verse 21. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and is in eternal life. You probably know verse 23, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's the fruit? Paul says in verse 22 that it leads to sanctification. Now look at verse 19. What leads to sanctification here. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Verse 18, you have become slaves of righteousness. See, the fruit is righteousness. The fruit that we bear is the very righteousness of God. You don't have to turn there, but listen to Hebrews 12 11, Uh, the discipline passage. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, the fruit that God is after in disciplining and training us is righteousness. Now listen to Philippians 1, 9 through 11. Paul is praying for us. And it is my prayer that your love, that's next week, that your love may abound more and more. With knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Again and again, fruit of righteousness, fruit of righteousness, fruit of righteousness. What does that really mean? Sounds abstract. What does that really look like? You know where we're going. One of the big ones. One of the watermelon of the fruit passages, Galatians chapter five. I forgot to write on the paper. Galatians chapter five. You can find it. Galatians five sixteen. Paul begins by saying, "But I say, walk by the Spirit." Pause. Some people start getting instantly crazy when you start talking about the Spirit and walking by the Spirit. For some reason, we assume that Spirit is spooky and strange. We look for spirit shivers and manifestations of the Spirit and second baptism of the Holy Spirit and all kinds of crazy. But listen to what Paul says. Walk by the Spirit and, here's what it is, here's what it does, and you will not.
1: why do we call him the Holy
0: Spirit the Father is holy the Son is holy why is it only for the third person of the Trinity that we emphasize the Holy Spirit because he's the one who makes us holy that's his job he unites us to Christ he teaches us Christ and he makes us holy like Christ and so then Paul lists for us what that looks like. Again, I know you know this. I know you probably got it memorized, but I'll just try. Give it close attention. Really listen to this list. Use your imagination. Consider how wonderful this would really be. Consider how wonderful of a person this would be. Galatians five twenty two. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy. self-control. That's the fruit. And you know what that is, of course. That's Christ. Paul has just beautifully described Christ for us. The character and the conduct of Christ. And how wonderful that sounds. How wonderful this Christ is. Can you imagine what character this man must be. What a conduct his life must have been uh, consisting of. Have you ever really and truly considered this Christ and tried to imagine what he must have been like, what he is like? A couple of us were reading John 3 this week where Jesus is teaching about the new birth. Jesus says to Nicodemus, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand These things. A lady very very honestly said, Well, I I thought that was kind of rude. It does kind of seem like it, doesn't it? But we know that it was. Because we know that Christ was incapable of rudeness. Can you imagine that? And I'm still often so short and so sarcastic with my words. I think that by the grace of God, slowly and it's has a long ways to go, but and I can still be such a jerk, and I hated it. And I continue to be concerned with how Christians tend to interact with one another and speak to one another so rudely and sinfully. I probably obnoxiously yesterday I was working on this, and there were two girls in the hallway, and there was an argument, and I pulled one of them in and said, Hey, come read this line that I was just working on. <laughs> and then we talked about how we are called here to interact and to engage with one another graciously demonstrating the fruit of the spirit. And yet so often our interactions with one other are so, so simple. But but here is this Christ, this man, who, up, who never once, never once interacted with another person in a simple way. Every time he spoke with another person, with a sinner, with a difficult person, with a person who wronged him, every single time he interacted that with that person, with healing Christ. Was. What a man this Christ was. I want that. I want to be like that. I want to be more and more characterized by that, by Christ himself and his very life in me, working in me and through me. That's the fruit. It's the very character and conduct of Christ himself. He is the God. As we are attached to him and draw our life from him, the inevitable result will be a life increasingly like in him. Oh, joy, peace, That sounds wonderful. Don't, don't you want that? And honestly, not, I have all kinds of things. I have all kinds of fruit goals. I have, I have running goals and speed goals and marathon goals and book goals and family goals, all kinds of Things. What about this—is this something that we honestly desire and want to pursue with all that we have? Christ, bless. Well then, what do we? That's point number two. How then do you bear this fruit? This is basically what we did for the whole of last week. But we're back now to the big idea of the passage. How do you bear fruit? You about? Listen to the last few seconds, or number three. But it is the abiding that results in the bearing of the fruit. This is the first and foundational thing. Verse five: Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See this? This can protect us from making an easy mistake. It is. It is He, not we, that is the source of this fruitfulness. You see, your application today is not just do something, be good. It's not try harder, better make sure and stir up and create this fruit. Be nice to one another. No, apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Doing something. Bearing the fruit of Christ-like character and conduct comes only as you abide in Christ by grace through faith. But, don't run to the other extreme. Your application today is also not, do nothing. Well, don't worry about being good. Don't worry about uh, trying. Right. It seems that we almost can't help just running, to, running from one extreme to do another it's either, do nothing of course, do everything, but it's neither of us. And the metaphor of the vine is particularly helpful in clarifying what so many are confused on. How does anyone get in Christ? How does anyone get attached to the vine? It is always and only entirely by grace. Ephesians 2.8. And this is not your own doing, but it is the gift of God. Why does it have to be, why must it be gift and yeah. grace? Ephesians 2, one. we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead doesn't do. Dead doesn't even believe. Dead can't believe. Verse 4, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. lot. Yeah. You see, that's the gospel. We were dead through the work of Christ. God gave us life. And life is the whole point of this metaphor. And life, wait for it, lives. It grows. It bears fruit, more life. And so too does the living Christian because they are connected to the living Christ. It's the natural outflow and overflow of the life of Christ, and and through us bearing more fruit, more life. And so the basic big idea, grace works. It works. Grace does something. True grace is never idle. Grace never encourages idleness. If you're ever using your understanding of grace as an excuse for your idleness or sin, your, your understanding of grace is wrong. Grace never encourages idleness. But grace gives energy. Grace motivates movement. We do nothing to earn our salvation. We do nothing to bring about the new birth. It's not even we believe first and then we are born again. That's so backwards. It's not grace. I was set free when I finally came to understand that regeneration precedes faith, that God always initiates, that His work precedes and enables my response. But then you know what happened when I started to understand that? I was all of a sudden far more inclined to pursue this God with great energy, who first pursued me with gracious, saving energy. And so listen, the bearing fruit happens neither as we do nothing, nor as we do everything. As Jonathan Edwards puts it, God's grace comes to us passively, and it makes us active. Edwards writes this, in saving effective grace... We're not merely passive, nor yet does God do some and we do the rest, but God does all, and we do all. God produces all, we act all. For that is what he produces, namely our own acts. God is the only proper author and fountain. We are the only proper actors. We are, in different respects, wholly passive and wholly active. You see, I find that helpful. God does all, and in Him we do all. God is the author, we are the actor. Is that correct? Well, it seems like it's just verse 5. That's all Edwards is just explaining verse 5. Christ is divine, we are the branches, we abide in Him, and so we bear much fruit. But apart from Him, we can do nothing. But with Him, in Him, we do anything, and everything needed to kill sin and glorify God and increasingly bear the fruit of Christ-like character and confidence. Spurgeon says, you are to take care that you abide in Christ as much as it all depended upon you. And yet you can look back to the promise of the covenant and see that the real reason for your abiding in Christ lies in the operation of God's unchanging love and grace. And this is what we see from Paul himself. me well. give you two verses that have just been so helpful for me as I try to, to sort this out. Write these down and chew on them later. Uh, the first is Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Uh, pay attention to the interplay of, of Paul and God, of, of God's grace and Paul's effort. In Philippians 2.12, Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. You, imperative, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's a command, an ought, a must, a should. Do this. Work out, live out your own salvation. Verse 13. For It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good. Right. You see how both come together? There. God's great grace and our great energy in response to that grace, working out and living out that grace. God is the author, we are the actor. One more, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Paul again. I love this one. This is what I want to be in you. First Corinthians 15:10, Paul says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. A great life. Hey, by the grace of God, you are what you are. All grace. Paul goes on. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Look at what he does with the grace. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. No, it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. You see, there's God's great grace motivating me. Enabling Paul's great work. And we know that Paul brings much fruit. And that's how you do it. That's how you bear the fruit. It is only by abiding. Abiding is a very active thing. We considered last week the means of abiding, verse 7, Christ's words abiding in you. I encourage you to think of abiding as attention, giving great attention to Christ and giving great attention to Christ by giving great attention to His Word. His living and active words that work. Grace works. The Word works. Those words bear the fruit of Christ's life in us as we take them in, meditate on them, and they do their work in and through us. So back to John 15. Look at the rest of verse 7. We didn't get to this last week. So we abide from the Word. It says, If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Look at this last part. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. I've been asking for snow for four months. <laughs> no snow. No. No, no, no. no, <laughs> Jesus, mind? I wish for everything you said. Think about my hand. Why is there no so. snow? Context. Context. No, we're talking about prayer. As we abide in Him, remember, we're connected to Him. We're drawing our life from Him. So then, in doing so, our prayers more and more begin to align with Him. We begin to more and more pray in accordance with His will for His kingdom to come and not our One of the greatest fruits, what are the greatest evidences of this happening in your life is when you start to notice that your prayers are becoming less and less about you and less and less about your immediate wants and needs. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray about those things. We're really good at praying about those things. So you can start to see the shift and transition when our prayers start to become more kingdom. About this Christ-like character and conduct, about the going forth of the gospel, uh, God answers those prayers, because those are his own prayers and desires for his people and his kingdom. So we bear fruit through prayer. And then look at verse 10. Nothing new here. Word of prayer. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and the Father of His love. Bear fruit through obedience. That was our main point from Deuteronomy 6 on Thursday. To God's commandments, 50 times, we're told in Deuteronomy to do and keep and obey the Word. You will bear no fruit in disobedience to God's good word. Once again, Christ connects love for Him to obedience to yeah. You say that you love Christ, okay, great. Right? Are you growing in obedience to Christ? Are you? None of us perfect, but hear me say. But are you seeking to please and honor Him and doing what He says? Is that, that's simply what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Christ. It is to hear His word and then to do His word. It's such a wonderful work. And I'm trying to convince you that his law is good. First uh, John 5 3, that his commandments are not burdensome. As Jesus tells us that the great commandment, quote in Deuteronomy 6, is that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You see, his law is love. He graciously calls us and commands us to love him. Who is good, who's the very center of reality, who is fullness of joy, who is life itself. So he's commanding us to do the best possible thing. You will only find life in me. Come to me. Listen to me. Learn of me. Love me. And so you just cannot abide in him, and you cannot cannot bear fruit apart from his word. And you cannot abide in him and bear fruit. Uh, apart from obeying His word, that's how you bear fruit. And in church, sometimes change is hard. We you know that. And sometimes I think mean, we just get, we get so defeated, and we just kind of throw our hands and just like, yeah. "It's impossible. But Listen, if you are in Christ, and if His Spirit is in you, then you can do those things. You have God Himself in you. You have the very life of God within you. You you can change. You can kill that sin which is death. You can bear the fruit of that righteousness which is life. You can be full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. If only you will more and more learn to look to the one who's alive himself. The one who gave his life that you might live with and for him forever. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. That raises a critical question. My final one. Let us close with this point number three. If that's what the fruit is. If that's how you bear it. Well, what happens when you don't bear fruit? We're very stupid. are so great Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the Father, takes it away. And every branch that does bear fruit, produces prunes it, may bear fruit. You get really confused and concerned about this verse. When you see there, too, that the branch is in Christ says, and then that branch is taken away. Look at verse 6, obviously, we've got to be talking about the same thing. In verse 6, we see the fruitless branches thrown away, withered, gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Well, does that mean that a Christian can lose their salvation? That means someone who was in him can be removed from him, no longer in him, there was salvation, and now there's not? of course not. And we know that in part because that's not how these metaphors work. The point of these is not to try to press every tiny little detail to extract some truth from them. It. That's one of most fundamental basic Principles for interpreting Scripture is that you always interpret that which is less clear than that which is more clear. And John 10 28 could not be more clear. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. No So this this verse can't be teaching in contrast to what that so clearly states. So who are these branches? That don't bear fruit in verse 2. Context. What has just happened? Judas has just happened. Judas, maybe only minutes ago. Remember, we're, we're taking like a year. A year minutes exactly. has happened. Minutes ago. Judas has gone out to betray the Christ through his life and death. Judas is the representative example of the fruitless. French. One who, in some surface way, of, at least appears to be connected to Christ. Judas was following Christ. He was listening to Christ. He's even sent out to teach Christ. He would have confessed Christ, professed Christ, claimed to have possessed Christ. There was some sort of connection. Maybe association is a better word. But it was not a true, abiding, life saving <coughs> life-giving, fruit-bearing connection. Judas is a fruitless table. But we know it's not just about Judas, but about anyone who may appear for a time at least to have some sort of connection to Christ, but borrowing the language of verse 8, so proved to not be Christ's disciple. So this, is, this is simple. Fruit is the only evidence of life, fruit is uh, the only true evidence of possessing true life in Christ. Fruitfulness is the infallible mark of true Christianity. Where there is no fruit, there is no life. Where there is no Christ-likeness, there is no Christ. Where there is no love for Christ, there is no Christ. Where there is no concern for Christ, or interest in Christ, or thinking of Christ, or caring about Christ, there is no christ where there is no love for the people of Christ, there is no Christ. Grace works, life lives. Especially the life of the one who is life. And that, he, it, that's what we have in us. If we are truly in him, the very life of God himself. Well, we're trying to move beyond. This is just some. Some intellectual exercise. I believe some stuff about this Jesus out here. Some sort of system of, of morality. You no, know, trying to understand what this thing is. It's Christ in us. That's what Christianity is. Read this book, "The Life of God in the Soul of Man." It's a great book. I'm very angry because I worked on this earlier in the week, and then, Desiring God put out an article about this book on Saturday. I reversed, and they got hold of my stuff. I think somehow, and they got it. But it's a good article. Go read it on Desiring God. It was just yesterday about this book. But again, people are confused about what Christianity really is. What is real religion? Being in church once a week Is it activism? Is it doing certain things? Well, the subtitle of this book which I love is Real Religion. Religion is not a bad thing. Bad religion is a bad thing. False religion is a bad thing. Real religion is life. And that's what Christianity George Whitfield was saved, reading this book. The man that saved so many others, saved by this book. Hmm. As J.I. Packer puts it, the great awakener was awakened by this book. Hmm. And in this book, the author, Henry School argues that true religion, what is it? It's a union of the soul we God. It's a real participation of the divine nature. If the very image of God drawn upon the soul It is Christ himself formed within us. I know not how the nature of religion can be more fully expressed than by calling it the divine life in us. See, that's what we get when we get Christ. We get his very life in us. And that's why the one who abides in him must and will bear fruit. For Christ is life. And that life cannot help but bear fruit. This is the whole story of the Bible. Beginning, we read God created us in his image and likeness. He created us to be righteous with him. He's the righteous God. We are right and righteous like him and with him. We ruined, we martyred with ourselves. We lost that wonderful righteousness. And the whole rest of the story. Is the gospel. It's God restoring that righteousness in us through the righteousness of Christ given to us by grace through faith. The whole thing is about this life in us. God created a certain people to be with Him and now He is recreating that people to be with us, to be with Him. That's the very life of God Himself. God's images, living life, reflecting God perfectly. God is making you like him. That's what this is about. We are being conformed to the very image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the fruit, and it is the most blessed and beautiful of fruit. 1421, Jesus says, "He who loves me, will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. 1511, the end of our passage, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be 14.27, 14.27, he has just said, My peace I give to you. That's the first three fruit of the Spirit. Right there, these two chapters. Love, joy, peace. And next week's going to be all about love again. In 15.12, we read, this is my commandment. Tired of commandments yet? Tired of all? This is my commandment. That you love one another. As I have loved. See how good this is? It's the very life of God himself, and that life is a life of love, and a life of joy, and a life of peace. Whatever it is that you're pursuing in this world, seeking to find life and joy and satisfaction in those things, some of those things are fine, but none of them compare to this. This is where you will find satisfaction uh, in your soul. This is the life that gets in us, And starts working through us this life of joy and love and peace. The very life of Christ in the soul of sinners like us. It's amazing. It's wonderful what God is doing for us. He's making us perfect. He's restoring us to relationship with him. His life. I skipped the pruning part. I'm sorry. I just have to kind of skip past it. Um, let me encourage right now. If you are currently pruning, what is that? What's pruning? Hey, here's a branch. (coughs) Cut it. And not cut it off, but snip it, trim it, Uh, cut it back. You know what pruning is? Pruning is painful. But what if that pruning is bearing that fruit that we just talked about? More Christ Himself in us. That pruning is good. It's worth whatever pain. It inhaled, because Christ is worth everything. And God is going to make us like him. And so this is why you so desperately need to learn to know and trust God's providence, that everything that comes, comes from his gracious, fatherly hand, And it comes to you specifically from him for your ultimate good. I'm not a very patient person. That's the one of fruit that I like to take out. I want to be more patient be very careful about praying for more patience. How do you grow in patience? By being continually confronted with things that try your patience. And so because God loves me, and being patient is being like Christ, He continually brings things into my life that will test my patience, that I will often fail, which then reveals that lack of patience in my life, uh, which then also then drives me back to Him to go to his grace, uh, to pray, to confess, to learn from my failures. What if, what if God is actually big enough that he is doing something like that for all of us? Always. Always. In everything. What if he's truly sovereign and good? What if he's truly out for your good and he's so committed to making you? perfect, like Jesus, no matter what, that he is going to the <laughs> whole of reality to bring these sinful things out of you, and to continue to conform you to the image of His son of life and joy. Yes. Doesn't that sound so good? Right? That, I want that. If I believe that, I would stop complaining about the difficult things that he brings into my life but he's promised to bring about my good. Perfect. Am I complaining about that, which is ultimately going to bring out my good? out? is that. And so we must seek to more and more humbly submit ourselves to his pruning providence, fighting to believe that whatever comes, it will work out for our ultimate good. This ultimate good of bearing the fruit of Christ-like character and conduct, verse 8, to the glory of God. And I know that a consideration of who we are to be What we are to do with bearing fruit can be very discouraging. Uh, Don't don't let it be. There's an infinite difference between no fruit and little fruit. Uh, I'm very much still in the little fruit camp. Think about what grace it must have taken to get me in mind wretchedness and love for that which was dead and perversed. To get me out of that dead, no fruit camp, into the living, no little fruit camp. So, so maybe you're like me. Take heart. We're not talking about perfection yet. But God's going to give us at the end Christ returns. But by God's grace as you abide in Christ, fruit, that little fruit, can become more fruit. can become much Christ is the only perfect one. But guess what? We are in him. We are attached to his very life. And our God has promised to conform us into his very perfect image. I cannot wait for that. And so even though I am far from there,
1: that there that I
0: know is coming gives me great motivation and desire and passion to pursue that with all that I have. That is a future and goal that is worth all of us striving for. Together. John fifteen 16, I'm going to read it and I'm done. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. If you would, let me close you with a word of prayer. Father, uh, the things that you offer to us in your word, the things that you are doing. The things that you hold out to us in your promises are so much better than we understand. They're almost beyond. What they are beyond our ability to grasp. you give us your Word and you give us your Spirit, which enables us to more and more see the goodness and the glory of who you are, what it is that you are doing. Father, you're making us like you. For that to be possible, that required your Son, Jesus Christ, coming to die, and dying. Amen filling the wall for us, counting us as righteous, crediting to us his own very perfect fruit of righteousness so that we could be uh, returned to you, reconciled to you, so that we can live. And Father, it's because of that and out of that that we more and more want to pursue the life of righteousness and holiness. that is so good and so honors to Lord, Father, help us to see the beauty and the goodness of the Spirit, being you of love, joy, peace so on, we ask simply that you would increasingly work and grow and build that fruit in us as individuals and in us corporately as a church, and that you would increasingly motivate us to pursue you, to pursue abiding in you and living out your good and gracious law with great energy, because Christ is so good, and so on. So Father, help us now, do in us and for us and through us what we have do ourselves, we ask you.